Hello and welcome to the EACCNY Pulse, a podcast platform that showcases transatlantic business insights from our members on both sides of the pond. My name is Yvonne Bendinger-Rothschild and I'm the Executive Director of the European American Chamber of Commerce in New York. Our series, A Look into the Crystal Ball on the Future of Finance, features high-level European and American executives with whom we will explore how the pandemic has reshaped priorities and expedited innovation within the financial services industry. We hope you will enjoy this series and I encourage you to rate and subscribe to the EACCNY Pulse on your favorite podcast network. Hello, I'm Daniel Basis, Managing Editor of Latin Finance Magazine. I'm hosting this edition of A Look into the Crystal Ball and the Future of Finance with David Rice, brought to you by the European American Chamber of Commerce, New York. David is the Chief Operating Officer of HSBC's Wholesale Bank. Globally, HSBC has roughly $3 trillion of assets under management at the end of last year. Uh, welcome, David. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Dan. It's good to be here. So a look into the crystal ball, I see a lot of coding of ones and zeros. Banking's digitalization has accelerated, especially in the last year. And so given COVID's impact on life, work, and home alike, I'm wondering about the, the topic of innovation. How has uh, the pandemic forced or caused you to innovate or increase the digitalization of your banking operations? Okay. Uh, good question. So let, let me let me provide a little bit of context um, because I think innovation is a term that is used in multiple contexts. And I think actually what's happened over the last 18 months is a combination of innovation and true disruption. And I think sometimes we use them interchangeably. So for me, innovation is very much how do you improve on often incrementally on on the past disruption is fundamentally changing what you do and i think we've got a combination of factors many of them are super trends that have been around uh, in the broader society and within financial services for a while but i actually think we're at a point now of inflection where we could see true disruption into traditional business models value chains and actually how we serve our customers across from you know the consumer all the way up to the institutional client so it's a super exciting time um, but i think making that distinction is very very important both if you're working in financial services uh, but if also if you're looking in and starting to understand what those trends are going to be i think covid has accelerated many of as i said the super trends or the macro trends that were already happening I think habits have been changed, reformed and adjusted, and we can see that through our data. Customer behavior has changed, employee behavior has changed. Um, what's important to people uh, has fundamentally shifted. And as a result, that has opened up new opportunities. Frankly, it's offered challenges um, and issues that maybe banks and financial institutions hadn't seen. Um, but the fundamentals remain the same. You know, for me, it's if you solve customer problems, if you tie opportunities for clients, then you'll win. If you do something useful and you use technology to do that, then you will remain relevant. You will remain salient to your customer base. And those those items are not going to change. Um, sure. and, and that's what the bank and the financial services industry more broadly, you know, is grappling with right now. Right. And and but when you look at it, I mean, HSBC is a global bank. Uh, operations every corner of the world. But digital banking has been at different speeds in different corners of this world we inhabit. 
And so what regions do you think perhaps are ahead in digital banking or digital banking services versus um, more conservative or, or, or slower pace? Uh, where would you say the leading edge of this is? So, uh, look, this is going to be a somewhat unhelpful answer to you, Dan, but I, I don't think there is one answer to that question. I think there are certain markets, certain areas, sometimes free necessity, that are significantly more advanced in certain areas of digitalization and technology. And then there are markets um, where, you know, it could be very immature or nascent in that particular field, but in other areas uh, are more advanced. I think you are starting to see more collegial approach by regulators um, around how they are going to shepherd and govern uh, a new way of working and the digitalization and the opportunities that arise around that. But, you know, you can look at uh, some of the African countries and see some of the advancements that they mm. have done in the space of, you know, mobile payments and mobile banking. And you could say there's some of the most advanced in the world in other areas around infrastructure and digitalization around that less so. So I think the, the reality is there's sort of a multi-speed environment that's going through uh, at this stage. And it's very much based on you know a number of variables. But I keep coming back to this. The number one constraint or the number one sort of defining variable at this is is customer preference in markets where they've operated, you know, in a relatively mature financial services industry. You know, those habits are well formed and the emerging prominence of Generation Z uh, and things like that is is certainly going to have a, you know, an impact on how these technologies and how digital innovation is adopted uh, from market to market. Do you think then that for banking, right, uh, small players, barriers to entry uh, versus the large players such as yourself, does it become a question of watching very carefully how the trends go and maybe not trying to innovate everything yourself? And there's a there's a perhaps a, a mergers and acquisitions factor that that goes into the business model. So if we take a giant step back for a second, and this is a personal view, I'm living at the moment with a thesis that banking will become completely ubiquitous. And what I mean by that is if you think in layperson's terms, if you think about banking, and let's just keep a simple example, you, you want to go and get a mortgage. Traditionally, you would have walked into a bank, you would have spoken to a banker, you would have given over documentation, you would have got a quote for what they thought they would be able to provide a mortgage for. And then you would have gone out and tried to find a property or a house that was desirable within that mortgage range. You would have shopped around and things like that. And, and even with the advancements in technology and marketplaces and things like that, that, that's, that traditional interaction, that monolithic interaction with banks still exists. We are already starting to see, you know, more ubiquitous style banking where you could be at an open home and you can go into your phone. They know where you are. They know your financial data, particularly in markets where there's open banking. They can give you that quote there and then, and then that you know that quote could this, you can put a bid into you know the phone of the person selling the house right there and then. Now that if that happens, you completely fundamentally change the customer experience. And while that's a consumer example, that's going to happen in the B 2 B space. That's going to happen in the B 2 G space. That's going to happen in the B 2 B to C space. So actually, fundamentally. Banking is going to become a more ecosystem driven industry. Now, the roles that banks choose to play within that, I think, will vary. Some will want to be the ecosystem manager. Some people will want to own the context and the context data. 
Others will want to play as the financial plumbing within other people's ecosystems. And the use cases that we, we adopt here um, are going to be very, very specific to that financial institution, that opportunity, and, and frankly, that customer need. And I think that's super exciting. And maybe the sort of picture that I've just painted around sort of everyone can be a financial technology company is not completely right. But we won't be fundamentally wrong with that. And the, the edges will begin to blur as customer preferences and customer experiences and the frictions of interacting uh, with financial services becomes easier and easier. But on that on that idea of customer, right, what are the customer acquisition costs like in a digital banking universe now, say, maybe, maybe versus pre-COVID? That, that finding of those new customers and bringing them into your, your world and your circle of, of services – that's got to be a, a major uh, component of all this. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point, Dan. So let me, let me give you a wholesale example. As you said in your, your intro, COO for the wholesale bank. I think before we talk about acquisition costs and servicing costs and things like that, the first question is actually, what is a customer of the future? Mm. And traditionally in the wholesale market, a customer has been sort of a multifacet relationship, at least in the sort of small to medium enterprise market. So, you know, traditionally you would have had one, two, potentially three banks. If you're international in nature, maybe you had a few more. Um, here at HSBC, we'd like you to have one. And that's, you know, our operating model. But you would have had those two or three banks and you would have banked with them. And, and the data would suggest that very rarely do you, you switch in the wholesale, in the wholesale market or the wholesale context. I think as banking becomes more modular, as the experience becomes more ubiquitous with the underlying transaction that the customer is trying to satisfy, you know, grow their business, move their supply chain, et cetera, and so on. I think the, the, the definition for a customer of the bank will fundamentally change. And those economics behind that customer means we're going to have to look at our acquisition costs, which is the example that you gave, but also our servicing costs very different. So I think there's two, there's going to be two sort of components at play. One is going to be, I think scale is going to be super important. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the incremental or marginal cost increase of every customer is lowering through technology. It's lowering through innovation of distribution channels, partnerships, ecosystems, some of the things we've already touched on in the podcast. Those barriers to entry. Yeah. Equally, I think the definition of the customer and the economics behind the customer are going to fundamentally change. So what does think, it? No, go on. Well, I was going to say, what is a corporate digital identity? What does that What does that look like? It's a great question, and I think again, it means it means different things to different people. I think you are starting to see in certain certain regulations and governments starting to look at identity systems. My personal view is that it doesn't necessarily need to be government run, but what it really means is how do we create trust within a digital economy? So, you know, we like to tag that or put some some tangible items around it like digital identity. But really what we've got to figure out as an industry and as a society is in a digital environment where we're increasingly undertaking transactions of all natures is how do we install trust into that system? And at its very simplest form, that's what banks have been doing for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Sure. And the opportunity for the, the banking industry, and, and frankly, other industries could also take a role in this, including the governments and the regulators, is how do we create trust 
that ultimately leads to more positive interactions. And if there's more positive interactions, my view is that there will be economic stimulus, there'll be growth and the world will be a better place. And I think just pulling on that thought and that cord of, you know, digital identity, I think that's a huge opportunity where the financial services industry can create real underlying value that can stimulate economic growth. So talking about identity and, and trust, I mean, okay, so in the mainstream, the, the example, and, and this is an acronym that has been on the, on the lips of everybody, um, certainly online anyway, is that I think we recently saw a $66 million or so price tag for a piece of art that was also an NFT, right? And that's a non-fungible token. I think that maybe it ties in to what you're talking about, that digital identity and what people are willing to for it. Now, yes, that's a piece of art. And that's a maybe it's a grabs the headlines, but the underlying technology of that and cryptocurrencies in general certainly are a, a topic that we have to address as a society. What does an NFT do to the digital banking or the customer identity process in your mind? I mean, maybe it's pulling it too broad of a string, but I'm just curious if that's in the mix, so to speak. Okay, you can go many different ways on this question. Great question. <laughs> Dan. So let's let's take crypto. There's been huge amounts of positive momentum in crypto over 2020. You'll have seen some of the recent announcements potentially from the OCC and others around sort of updates demonstrating how quickly uh, how quickly crypto and traditional financial services are starting to converge. There's two ways to look at this. There's the opportunity and there's the threat of it. I think the opportunity. Um, back to solving problems for customers, making the financial services safer, more efficient, eliminating friction. I think the opportunities massively outweigh the threats. I think, you know, especially as a medium of exchange, some of the adoption headwinds and some of the challenges that we've seen in in previously, I think those are starting to move away. But I think what's more important around technologies such as crypto is the innovation that we not yet understand that can be built off these types of technologies. So I think it's a wildly positive opportunity and potential. I think that um, what we believe the use cases and the examples of how this can be used to benefit society today will be very different to how it happens as we go through this. And I think it will evolve and adapt as we understand the technology a little more. But this can be the solution to, to many of the traditional challenges that we've had in the financial services industry, but also across society. So getting back to then the customers, right? Um, certainly the members of the, of the chamber in New York, they're looking broadly, they're looking globally. How should firms approach cross-border operations in this new or evolving uh, world of digital banking and um, th- does it really change very much the the way that they operate is it going to fundamentally change their back offices is it going to increase jobs decrease jobs you know just in general as trading companies and law firms and and the like have to navigate the world that's changing around them the infrastructure that's changing around them I think personal view is sort of two macro pieces. One is you should be looking at this. If you're not looking at this, then you need to look at it. This needs to be something that is reviewed constantly. There are so many sort of variables in place. I think those who are not consciously evaluating, you know, how the world is evolving around them, how that will change their supply chain, their customers, 
how they will create, receive value across the value stream. I think if you're not doing that uh, as a continuous process, including will your business model change? We typically look at, you know, what will change, which is tangible, you know, customers, suppliers, regulation. But actually, we're at a stage, I think, in history where business models will fundamentally change. And I think you've seen that with the platform business models that have been so prevalent over you know, the last five and 10 years and the unicorns that have been created by fundamentally sort of reevaluating platform business model and a business model going forward. So I think that, that's the first point. I think the second point is technology will bring a level of consistency and convergence that hasn't maybe been there traditionally. And my, I am very hopeful that it will be an enabler to make the world smaller and to stimulate economic growth. I keep coming back to sort of positive interactions because I think if you can generate positive interactions between two parties, then value is created by definition. Mm-hmm. And as we create more value across society, then that will create, you know, economic stimulus. And I think the final point of your question is around jobs. I'll, I'll give you a personal insight. Every year in January, I do an evaluation of myself and say, do I think I have the skills and capabilities to be the best COO for the job right now? What I've found over the recent years is the answer is typically no in January. That doesn't mean that I'm losing my job. It means that my job is fundamentally changing. And I don't think that there will be less jobs. I hope there will be more jobs. But what I do think is that vast majority of people's jobs will fundamentally change. If I was talking to someone sort of going in or coming out of college, I would say go and focus on something where, you know, the human will be involved. And when you actually start thinking about that, there are so many interactions that will still require human intervention. Now, they may be heavily augmented by automation, robotics, digitalization, but there are certain things which which will always require human interaction and a human point. And I think that, you know, as the world becomes more digitalized, more automated, I think, you know, those skill sets will be sought after. But without sort of plugging it too hard, my kind of counsel on this and, and what I tell, you know, my people is, you need to be constantly thinking about, you know, what is the skill set to be successful in the future? And if you do that, your job security is super high. And, you know, people for people like me, my role within this is to provide an environment where you can test and learn and change and adapt and start to innovate both from a technology perspective, but also as a way of thinking. And I not for now, but I have some super stories around people who have been able to reinvent themselves um, and a leading, you know, innovation from, you know, previously what, what, what now would be a redundant role uh, in the bank, for example. Right. I, I think we're going to end on that high note then. Thank you, David. Uh, this concludes the podcast episode with David Rice, Chief Operating Officer of HSBC's Wholesale Bank. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm Daniel Basis with Latin Finance. We hope you enjoyed this program hosted by the European American Chamber of Commerce, New York. Stay tuned for another edition of A Look into the Crystal Ball and the future of finance. All the best. Thank you for joining us for this episode of EACC and Y Pulse. Please rate and review this podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and colleagues. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on transatlantic business insights and to better understand the complexities of the international environment we work in. 
For more information about the European American Chamber of Commerce and how to join our dynamic network, please reach out to membership at eaccny.com. We look forward to hearing from you.